Welcome to episode 103 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, snooze, the sleeping episode. This does not mean that you can sleep through this episode. However, you may sleep a little better on your next backpacking trip after listening. On today's Summit Gear Review, we'll share a deal on down. Then for today's backpack hack of the week, a little less air may give you a little more comfort. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. This is a pretty ambitious episode because my goal in this episode is to help every single person listening to experience a perfect night's sleep while backpacking. You're sleeping in a completely foreign environment, so there are a lot of barriers to overcome and a lot of things we all have to figure out to get that perfect night's sleep. It's a pretty tall order, really, to say that you're going to be in an unfamiliar place compared to being at home that's very familiar, in a place that might have noises compared to being home that's completely quiet, and you're going to have maybe about three pounds of sleeping gear compared to, I don't know, how much does our bed weigh? (laughs) You know, a couple hundred pounds. I mean, the difference in bulk and weight uh, for what we use as a bed at night compared to what we use on the trail is just huge. Have you ever had like an epic night's sleep, Josh, where you just, you crashed, you slept comfortably in every way, and you woke up the next morning feeling like a rock star? I mean, I guess maybe that's not a good, (laughs) I don't know how rock stars feel when they wake up. Probably not super great. Mm. Uh, Okay, you woke up feeling refreshed, energetic, and enthusiastic. Yeah, I have. It's never been on the first night of a backpacking trip. Those rare, perfect nights that I have, it seems like they're maybe the third or fourth night into a a week-long trip. And what makes it perfect? Well, for one, the temperature was perfect. The sounds were perfect. We weren't too close to a loud river, but maybe there was enough background noise to lull me to sleep. And then it was just comfortable. You know, I wasn't sweaty or or clammy. Nearly all sleeping bags come with some number. You know, you'll see the super sleeper 20. Well, that means it's a 20 degree bag. But what does that really mean? Right, because you could take it out on a 20 degree night and lay in there all curled up and shivering and wondering, what does that number mean? It's so vague. There is one standard that should help And it's been very slow to be adopted by manufacturers, but I think we're finally seeing to where we've gotten to some pretty widespread adoption. That standard is uh, from the European Union. It's the EN13537 standard. That sounds high-tech. Yeah, just some number. But when you're looking at sleeping bags, you'll see an EN rating. If you see an EN rating on a sleeping bag then you know that it's actually gone through a standardized test. So the same test was applied to that sleeping bag that was applied to other sleeping bags from other manufacturers that you might look at. So that standard still may not tell you 
whether the bag is going to be comfortable for you, but at least it will allow you to do a pretty fair comparison between two different sleeping bags or two different manufacturers. The EN13537 test involves mannequins with temperature sensors on them. They stick a mannequin in the sleeping bag and subject it to certain temperature conditions, and they see how quickly the temperature drops, you know, stuff like that, and come up with some ratings. Now, it's actually not just one number. The EN rating has an upper limit, a comfort rating, a lower limit, and an extreme rating. Okay, so the way this works is the upper limit is the temperature at which a standard man can sleep without excessive perspiration in the sleeping bag. So if it's going to be a warm night, this number will tell you, you know, this bag is good up to 50 degrees, but if you're on a night that's warmer than 50 degrees, then the average man is going to start perspiring in the sleeping bag and be uncomfortable. And that's with uh, the hood and zippers open on the sleeping bag and the person's arms outside of the bag. The comfort rating, this is probably the one that, that I care about. That's the temperature at which a standard woman can expect to sleep comfortably in a relaxed position in the sleeping bag. The lower limit is the temperature at which a standard man can sleep for eight hours in a curled position <laughs> without waking. To me, that sounds still a little dicey. <laughs> and then the extreme is the minimum temperature at which a standard woman can remain for six hours in the sleeping bag without risk of death from hypothermia. <laughs> but it doesn't rule out frostbite. Yikes. <laughs> so don't pay much attention to the extreme rating. Or at least don't use that as your excuse for buying a bag. Oh, the extreme rating is 20 degrees. I'll be fine. No, you'll just be not dead, hopefully. That's all. Most manufacturers that use the EN rating, they'll use the lower limit as the advertised number for their bag. So if it's the sleep right 20, okay, that 20, you know, implies it's a 20 degree bag. If they used the EN system to have it tested, then most likely the EN lower limit on their tested bag was 20, not the comfort rating. So you would be sleeping in a curled position and you probably wouldn't wake up. That Maybe. Doesn't, yeah, that doesn't sound super comfortable. I like the idea of using the comfort rating from the EN13537. And from what we've seen, the comfort and the lower limit are the two most popular numbers that are put on the sleeping bags. And there's a pretty big difference between the two. A bag with a lower limit of 20 degrees might have a comfort rating of 34 degrees. That's a huge difference. That's 14 degrees. I mean, that's the difference between the water in your Nalgene being liquid versus solid. And I think this helps me to start to make sense of why it's been so difficult to sleep warm on backpacking trips. For, for me personally, the two of us both tend to sleep cold. And so we go out with a 20-degree bag on a 40-degree night, and we feel like we just barely stayed warm enough, or in fact, we might have been just a little too cool and woken up during the night. And it's so puzzling and kind of frustrating that you're like, wait a minute, is this a 20-degree bag or not? Why, why is this 20-degree bag not even getting me down into the mid-40s? Well, there's so many factors, but the EN rating can help because at least you can compare across bags. And you can say, okay, right now I have a bag, it's a 20-degree bag, but when you look at the EN comfort rating, then maybe you see something like 34. And then you can go look at other sleeping bags and say, okay, 
I know that my bag is not warm enough for me, so I need to get a bag that's warmer. And now instead of just getting a bag that has the number 15 on it, you can actually look at the EN rating and say, okay, it has an EN lower limit of 15. It has an EN comfort rating of, say, 25. So at least you can compare across bags. You're still going to have to dial it in for your personal uh, body, <laughs> just the, the way you sleep. And the sleeping bag is really just one part of the equation. A sleeping pad underneath you can make a huge difference. In fact, it's an essential part of your sleep system. If you have a 20-degree bag and you think that's going to get you through a 20-degree night sleeping on a tent floor, you're not taking into account all of the heat that's going to be lost by your body being almost directly on the forest floor. And you might be thinking, oh, well, the sleeping bag has some insulative value. You know, it's going to be underneath me. Doesn't that, you know, doesn't that provide some kind of protection from the forest floor or the ground? And the truth is that it really doesn't because you are compressing all of that insulation. And so all of the warm air that would have been trapped in your sleeping bag insulation is now squished between you and some mossy rock. So if you're ready to finally get a good night's sleep, we have the top five elements of sleeping well on the trail. At first, sleeping on the trail was an absolute puzzle for me. When we first started car camping, sleep was one of the first things that I had to get figured out if I wanted to enjoy our little car camping trips. And one of the things that I learned was that figuring out your sleep system really is a process. It's not going to happen the first time you go out. You'll get one element of figuring out your sleep system, but then the next time you go out, you'll learn something else, and you'll finally kind of figure out what you need to sleep well on the trail. Last week, we shared the experience of Alina from her first backpacking trip. And there's one additional piece we want to share from her story that we didn't share last week, and it was about her first night sleeping on the trail. I set up my tent, set up, blew up my little mattress, got cozy in there, and I realized that it was going to be a long, cold night. It got down to, I'm going to say, about 60 degrees that night. It was very cold and remarkably loud. I don't know what insect, but it sure was loud. And I just have convinced myself that, of course, the one time I go out by myself, first time hiking on my own, first time camping, first time camping on my own, I'm going to get eaten by a bear. So every rustling noise, every slightly louder chirp, the fish were jumping in and out of the water. I was wide awake. So I slept a couple hours, three, four max, but I did finally doze off towards morning and I woke up around six. So that seems to be a pretty typical first timer's experience. I know it was for me, Heather. Oh yeah, definitely. For you too. And maybe a really typical second timers and third timers and fourth timers experience. Mm -hmm. I think this is something, the sleep system is something that you really have to work on for a while. So here are the top five elements that you can work on as you dial in this challenge of getting a good night's sleep on the trail. I was hoping you used the phrase dial in. Because <laughs> that's, <a good> <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, yeah. you really are. It's tweak, just tweak, tweak. incrementally just figuring it out. 
Well, the number one element of sleeping well on the trail is temperature control. And I'm going to add to that moisture control as well. So it's important to get a bag that's rated not only for the temperature that you'll be experiencing as a nighttime low, but know your own body's needs as well. And as Josh talked about in the beginning, knowing the comfort and the lower limit rating on your bag will really help with finding the right bag or quilt for you. Another thing you'll need to take into account when you're considering the temperature is the altitude. So that means that if you've checked the weather for where you're going and the weather is for a town that's maybe a few miles down the hill from where you'll be backpacking, you need to take into account that it may be much colder at a higher elevation. And I think it's important to point out that warmth doesn't always come from your sleeping bag. Warmth can come from your base layers, a hat. You could even put on all of your clothes and sleep in those. There's no rule against that. In fact, a lot of backpackers wear all of their clothes overnight just to get that extra warmth. You can also find warmth through a Zippo hand warmer, or you can make a little Nalgene baby. We talked about the Nalgene baby in episode 94 and the Zippo hand warmer in episode 67. And also dry is an important part of warmth. So if you're going to bed with slightly sweaty clothes, or maybe if it just rained a teeny bit right before you got into the tent, change out of those clothes and don't sleep in wet clothes because that will suck all of the heat out of you. If you're going to sleep in all of your clothes, you really got to make sure they're dry. And if you've been wearing them all day, there's a good chance that they are in fact not dry. Yeah, not as dry as you think. Exactly. You can touch them and they might even feel dry. Take a pair of socks. Oh, totally. That's where it always happens. Yeah. Yeah. Remove that pair from your feet and let it set for 10 minutes in the open air and then feel it. And, you know, once it has cooled down, you may notice, whoa, these socks are really damp. And they stink. Well, that that too. (laughs) (laughs) So while I love to kind of reuse my clothing and use them as additional layers at night, uh, often, you know, I've got two sets of socks. And so whatever I wore that day is going to come off and I'm going to put on the set that I didn't wear that day because it's spent all day drying out. And that's what I'll sleep in and then wear those socks the next day and switch off back and forth. And the same thing goes for shirts, base layers, etc. And then the last two things that I wanted to talk about as far as temperature control goes, don't leave home without your sleeping pad. And then the other thing which Josh and I haven't experimented with at all is using a sleeping bag liner. And I've seen different liners out there that claim different temperature ratings. You know, they can add eight degrees to your bag or, you know, add 15 degrees to your bag. I I don't know. I really have no idea if they really do add that much. So we'd love to hear from people who have used sleeping bag liners and just kind of hear their experience and what, what type they used and if it really did add to the warmth of their sleeping bag. The number two element to sleeping well on the trail is good physical health. It's amazing how just a little bit of stomach acid can keep you awake for hours. On the trail, your diet is different than it is at home, and a change in diet can cause heartburn. So just keeping a few Tums in your first aid kit can really help you to sleep Sleep like a pregnant lady. (laughs) Because for me, heartburn was the one thing that made it so I could not sleep when I was expecting each of our children. 
Tums are amazing. Another thing that can keep you awake is leg aches, cramps, growing pains. And these are things that can be remedied by simply hydrating throughout the day and making sure that you're getting your electrolytes. Another remedy that I've heard that works is mustard packets, just eating straight mustard. Headaches may also get in the way of great sleep. Sometimes it's best just to sleep off a headache, but um, ibuprofen does amazing things to just knock out a headache really quickly. And also, I think it's important to note that elevated caffeine consumption can also really mess with your ability to sleep. And we just hit on some of the, the big easy targets here. Everyone has their own little health quirks. And those are also things that you need to take into consideration when you're tweaking your sleep setup on the trail. The number three element of sleeping well on the trail is eliminating fear and anxiety. And really, this is what kept me up quite a bit on our first few car camping trips and some of our backpacking trips. After a while, I just kind of said to myself, come on, you're too old for this. Like you're too old to be having these fears. You're too mature. You know, there's nothing out there. Um, I just kind of grabbed myself by the shoulders and rattled myself a little bit and said, get over it. You're too tired to be wasting time pretending that there's something dangerous outside. I kind of just had to get over it. When we were interviewed on the Hang Your Own Hang podcast in September of this year, we discussed uh, our first night camping in hammocks. And one of the things I shared was that I felt like I pretty much stayed awake the whole night. I just, I slept so very lightly. And it wasn't for fear. Um, maybe anxiety, maybe not. Anyway, uh, Jonathan on Hang Your Own Hang podcast mentioned this uh, article that he had seen, and he referenced it in the show notes of, of that Hang Your Own Hang episode. You know, the studies have been done that show that when you sleep in an unfamiliar location, the first few nights, you're sort of half awake. Your brain doesn't fully shut down. and It stays a little bit conscious. Well, that can affect you in a hotel room even. Um, but certainly when you're out on the trail, it's going to affect you on top of all the other factors. So you're sleeping a little lighter. You're hearing all of those noises from the critters around you. It's just bound to happen. But the more you do it, the more you get accustomed to that environment and the better you sleep. That's so true. The more you do it, the easier it gets. I still, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night with my heart pounding because I hear a crack or, you know, I hear a pine cone drop or something. Um, but I'm, I guess I'm better able to calm myself down more quickly. All that adrenaline for nothing. Yeah. The number four element for sleeping well on the trail is to eliminate pressure points. One of the cool things that Josh and I noticed when we tried hammock camping is that the hammock really solves all of those awkward pressure point problems. There's just really nowhere for you to get sore when you are laying in a hammock. So I loved our hammock experiences that we had this summer. Another thing that really helps to eliminate pressure points is an air-filled sleeping pad. When I first started backpacking, I used a closed cell foam pad and it works. It's inexpensive. It's lightweight. It's great, but it doesn't do a really great job of cushioning your hips. So it wasn't as comfortable as other things that I've tried. 
Another pressure point that I've figured out how to eliminate is, um, don't really know how to explain it, but it's that awkward sleep position where your arm falls asleep, like you've pinched a nerve somewhere and your arm just goes dead. So I figured out that if I use a pillow and elevate my head up, you know, high enough that my arm doesn't fall asleep. So that's another little tweak to my sleep system that that worked for me. So for you, a pillow is really essential to having a good night's sleep. Definitely. A pillow, and sometimes I combine a pillow with the clothing in my stuff sack so that I can get extra loft. (laughs) It's important. It's how I sleep comfortably at home, so it works on the trail. Right, with your four pillows at home, and and I'm fine (laughs) with just flat, no pillow. So... So a lot of this is so personal, and that's why you know we use the term dialing it in, because yeah. you're just making these tiny adjustments in all these different aspects of your sleeping situation. The fifth element of sleeping well on the trail is quiet. You come up to your campsite, you're using your eyes to see the great scenery, it looks beautiful, you set up camp, and then you try to go to sleep at night, and you hear this rushing river right next to you. It didn't sound that loud, you know, when you showed up to camp. But now that everything else is quiet and everyone is in bed, that river is just, it's like it's the only thing you can pay attention to. It's so funny because, like, you don't want to complain about it. (laughs) You don't (laughs) want to be like, oh, that river is so annoying. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, sometimes nature can be loud. So keep that in mind if you're a light sleeper, maybe it makes sense to be a little further away from the river or even the shore of a lake can make those uh, lapping lapping sounds of the waves. Now, on the other hand, if it is super, super quiet, if the environment is super, super quiet, then you're going to hear every little sound that happens in the forest, every little crack, every little pop. And so for me, the best nights sleeping have been in this mid-range where I'm close but not too close to some kind of river or stream that's creating white noise, but it's a low level of white noise, so it's not keeping me awake. But it's enough white noise that it's covering up just those little little sounds of twigs snapping and leaves dropping. The killer chipmunks coming out to attack me. It just covers them up so I don't notice them. Cool. I never thought about using water as white noise to cover up just that that forest noise at night. And if you really are a light sleeper, then bringing some earplugs or even just earbuds that you're already using with your MP3 player, those can do a really good job of just blocking out sound. So don't feel bad if you don't get your sleeping figured out the first time or even the first few times that you go out backpacking. Just keep working on it. You know, number one is to try to figure out the temperature. To me, that is really the top thing to figure out. Get yourself sleeping at a comfortable temperature. Then pay attention to your physical condition, physical health. Eliminate fear and anxiety. Eliminate the pressure points. And pay attention to getting some quiet at night. All of what we've shared so far may make you pretty nervous about going out uh, on a backpacking trip and sleeping overnight on the trail. I mean, we've made it sound pretty hard. And we've made it sound like, really, your first night on the trail, you might as well just expect it to be horrible. But there's this phenomenon, and we talked about it in episode 13, 
I don't know how many trips I've been on where I slept very lightly through the night, I felt like I hardly got any sleep at all, and yet the next day I was fine. I didn't have a headache, I wasn't fatigued, I wasn't um, confused or you know mentally dull, I guess, uh, and I had a great day. And so just keep that in mind. You, you may have some restless nights with some pretty light sleep, especially on your first few trips. But we're going to hope that this uh, phenomenon, whatever we call it. We called it the backpacker sleep phenomenon. We're going to hope that that kicks in for you. And that even if you have some pretty light nights of sleep, you're going to have a great experience backpacking. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Slumberjack Sojourn 20 Degree Down Bag. When I was a teenager, I got a Slumberjack sleeping bag and I just kept on using it. It was the Slumberjack Everest Elite, if I remember right. And I've had that thing for 30 years. It's been a great bag. It was a 20 degree bag. Um, I've continued to use it. I mean, even as we've gotten back into backpacking and have refreshed much of our gear, I still kept using that Slumberjack bag that I had from 30 years ago. And so when Heather told me I was going to get a new Slumberjack sleeping bag, the Sojourn 20, I was excited to see how much has changed or how much hasn't changed. My Slumberjack bag from 30 years ago was uh, synthetic insulation. It had a very lightweight um, kind of nylon shell. And I was curious, would the new bag be lighter? Would it feel warmer? I mean, they're both 20 degree bags, but I have a bag that has been with me for 30 years. I don't know if it's still a 20 degree bag. So would the new bag be warmer? Would it be lighter? Would it be more comfortable? What additional features would it have? Well, I think an interesting thing about the structure of the Slumberjack Sojourn 20 is that it has what's called a relaxed mummy shape, which means it's not as tight as the traditional mummy, which can be kind of suffocating for a lot of people. And you feel kind of like, oh, I can't move. But this is a little bit more rounded, which means that it can fit a variety of shapes of people. And this shape is going to be comfortable for men as well as women. I noticed right away that it doesn't become nearly as narrow in the foot box, so I can really move my feet around. I have long legs, and sometimes it's really uncomfortable to not be able to bend your knee. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and in a lot of sleeping bags, it's so narrow at the bottom that you really can't bend your knee. And in this one, I've got a little more room. I can actually bend my knees and kind of, you know, move them around a little bit and I guess get away from that kind of claustrophobic feeling. Oh, definitely. The Slumberjack Sojourn uses 550 fill power gray duck down, which has been treated with dry down. And that dry down treatment does amazing things for the down. It allows the down to stay drier 10 times longer. And so it's not going to collapse at the first sign of moisture. It maintains more loft when it's wet or damp, and then it dries about a third faster than untreated down. It has a pretty standard mummy bag hood where it has two adjustments, uh, one for the, uh, the hood going uh, behind your head and another adjustment cord for the part of the sleeping bag that comes right in front of your face or neck. The other big standout feature on this particular sleeping bag is that it has dual zippers. So it's not just a left side open or right side open bag. You've got a zipper on both sides with a couple of uh, Velcro closures along the way on those zippers. So if you close the top Velcro closure, then of course that's going to prevent the zipper from opening at all. 
Then there's another Velcro closure that comes, oh, just under the armpits, I guess. So if you close those ones, then you can unzip maybe the first foot or so of the bag, and then it'll stop there and not unzip further. Now the structure is a little different because of that. Most sleeping bags that only open on one side, the zipper is exactly on the side. So there's just as much bag above the zipper as there is below the zipper, you know, when you're sleeping in the bag. This one's a little different. The zippers are actually brought in a little closer to each other along the top. So it creates this top flap that you can zip open that's narrower than the bottom of the sleeping bag that's kind of coming up around your shoulders. So it's like if you unzipped just, you know, down maybe a foot or two, you would still kind of be able to wear the sleeping bag as kind of a cape or a shawl, <laughs> poncho kind of thing around your shoulders and still kind of preserve some of that warmth. Yeah, it would still come up your sides a little bit. It wouldn't come all the way on top of you. Okay. So one of the cool things about the Velcro closures on both sides of the bag is that you can close the Velcro and then unzip the sleeping bag and still be able to reach your arms out. Like if you had, I don't know, a project you were working on or a book you were reading or you wanted to eat in your tent, um, you would have all of the downy goodness around you, but you'd still have your hands available to work on a project or, you know, read or whatever. Another feature on this bag that goes the extra mile in protecting the down is the double dry waterproof panels that are on the hood and the foot box. So basically where your sleeping bag is going to be hitting the edge of the tent. And the walls of the tent usually have a nice layer of condensation ready to drip on your sleeping bag. So just having those waterproof panels will protect your down bag. And then if your bag does happen to get damp or wet, the fabric inside of the sleeping bag is black. And so that allows the fabric to dry more rapidly if you were to lay out your sleeping bag in the sun. The Slumberjack Sojourn 20 comes in two lengths, uh, regular and long. The regular length is uh, just under three pounds and the long version is just over three pounds. The stuff sack is 16 inches long and eight inches in diameter. I just stuff the bag into the bottom compartment of my pack and it fits in there. The standard bag is 82 inches long and the long bag is 86 inches long. In addition to being longer, it has a couple extra inches of girth all throughout the bag as well. We got the long version of this bag and noticed that it weighed about 3.8 ounces more than was listed on their website. So, you know, give or take a few ounces, the regular size of this bag is still going to weigh probably right around 3 pounds. For maintenance, you'll just want to machine wash when needed, so not after every trip, and then dry completely. And when you think it's dry, maybe send it in for a cool tumble and make sure it's all the way dry. For investment, the Slumberjack Sojourn 20 costs $180. However, uh, you can get it on Slumberjack's own website uh, on sale for $135 right now. Uh, the long version costs a little bit more on sale, still less than $180. And Heather, didn't you say you found an even better deal I Somewhere. did. Yeah. And I don't know how long it's going to be up because it's one of those Groupon things. In fact, it's on Groupon's website. They have Slumberjack bags on there for a steal, like a crazy deal. And we'll put the link up in the show notes. And I'm just hoping that the link doesn't die before this episode goes out. But I mean, it's one of those things. I think Slumberjack has frequent deals on Groupon. So you can always find something up there that's comparable to the Slumberjack Sojourn 20. 
The price of this bag really makes it a great deal. I mean, you're getting a down bag, 20 degrees. You know, I, I did some quick comparisons with other sleeping bags from other brands, you know, all at the 20 degree rating. And, you know, I could save, I don't know, six or eight ounces in weight. I mean, that's, it's significant, I guess. So get a two and a half pound bag instead of this three pound bag, you know, by doubling the price. So if I spent 250 or $300, you know, then I could get a bag that's eight ounces lighter. It's always those trade-offs that you got to make and decide, you know, is it worth the extra money to save a few ounces? Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. And so the Slumberjack bag, I think the price point on it is terrific. Uh, yep, might be a little bit heavier than some of the other bags, but you're still getting, uh, you're getting down, you're getting the dry-down treatment, you're getting the waterproof panels, uh, the dual zippers. You know, it's it's got a good set of features and I also feel like it's um, it's going to be a very durable bag for me as well. It's not going to be particularly fragile. So you, you really can't beat the price for what you're getting. So after so many years, I've put my old Slumberjack to rest and have used my new Slumberjack on a few backpacking trips. I used it over the summer when we went hammock camping. Yeah, it was summertime, but we were in hammocks and it was on the Oregon coast, which hardly ever feels like summer, even in the summer. So that was a good test. Uh, it was very humid there. You know, we didn't get rained on, but just really high humidity. The bag performed well. And then we spent an extremely wet weekend by Mount Jefferson in Oregon. It started raining when we arrived at the campsite and it kept on raining and kept on raining. And we hiked out in the rain and it was still raining when we got home and still raining the next day. <laughs> I think those uh, double dry panels really helped because I know my bag was touching a wet tent wall from time to time throughout the night, but it didn't start soaking it up. The down didn't start collapsing. It really worked well. I have noticed, as we mentioned, that the fabric that they use is, is a fairly thick feeling or heavy feeling fabric. And in fact, this bag is heavier than some similar bags, you know, at similar temperature ratings uh, that you pay twice as much for. On the upside, though, that fabric is, it really feels very durable. So I think it's going to last a long time. And I really liked the double zippers because I can open the sleeping bag on one side or the other or both. The double zippers were also handy when I was awake and sitting up in the tent. I didn't have the sleeping bag all off to one side, you know, zipped open. I could just zip both zippers down a foot or two and be mostly in my bag still and just have the front, you know, folded down so I could sit up. The Slumberjack Sojourn 20 is a great deal for down and it has some great features. Down typically lasts longer than a synthetic bag, and this bag has some really great safeguards built into it to protect the down. For today's backpack hack of the week, deflating your firm air mattress. We had a friend who borrowed one of our sleeping pads for a recent trip, and he slept horribly for the first three nights. And then on the fourth night, someone suggested to him that he deflate the pad just a little bit. And it worked. He slept wonderfully. So if you have an air mattress and it's really uncomfortable and you cannot figure out how to make it comfortable, try deflating it just a little bit and see if that works. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Alan S. Kesselheim. He said, A great many people, and more all the time, live their entire lives without ever once sleeping out under the stars.
That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a recent backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. take into account that it number you want to do number three it's kind of a you thing (laughs) (laughs) okay a pound of feathers weighs the same as a pound of bricks yeah okay (laughs) yep